Welcome to God's Truth. I'm Dr. D. Todd Harrison, your instructor today, as we continue to feast upon the literal words of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as we study the New Testament this year. We're examining his life, his teachings, the miracles that he performed. We welcome you uh, aboard today as we will continue to look. This week, we look at John chapter 7 through 10 and see some more of the uh, teachings of Jesus Christ and of that same Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, I testify as one of his witnesses that he lives today. He conquered death. He rose from the dead. He reigns as our Lord Supreme, our Savior, our Redeemer, our God. Let's look here at John chapter 7, and we'll look at 7 through 10, and look at some great things here today. And... Um, so beginning with the chapter 7, let's look at verses 1 through 9. After these things, Jesus walked in Galilee, for he would not walk in Drury. So by this we interpret this to be in Jerusalem, right? Because the Jews sought to kill him. So they're trying to kill him in Jerusalem. Therefore, he stayed in the Galilee area. In verse 2, now the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brethren therefore said unto him, Depart and go into Judea, that thy disciples also may see the works that thou doest. For there is no man that doeth anything in secret, and he himself seeketh to be known openly. If thou do these things, show thyself to the world. So his brothers are saying, Look, uh, Jesus, it seems to be you're, you know, you want to be known to the world, but at the same time, you're doing works in secret. Let's let's get you out on the stage here. Let's get you out where the people can see you in the, the temple and start preaching in the temple. And we maybe get a lot more uh, converts than going person by person and in, in secret here. For neither did his brethren believe in him. Then Jesus said unto them, my time has not yet come, but your time is already is already ready, right? So, so it's time for you to be popular and, and make a name for yourself. Uh, let's have you start. My time is not yet. And, go to the beginning of this of this feast, and maybe I'll show up uh, later. We, of course, know that James's brother becomes well-known among the Jews of this uh, first century. Uh, he's, he ends up becoming, after Jesus' death, uh, not only the, you know, the leader of the church, but he's also the opposition high priest. He has substantial support, not only within Christianity, but also within ancient Judaism, of this time, they all looked up to him. Even the great historian, uh, the Jewish historian Josephus, you know, talked about what a great man that uh, James was, and how basically that uh, God allowed the Babylonians to destroy. I mean, allowed the Romans to destroy Jerusalem and the temple because they had killed James the Righteous One or James the Just. So. That's what uh, the historian uh, Josephus talked about James. So James develops a great following, great name recognition as Jesus is here telling him to begin that part of, of his uh, ministry. He says here, the world cannot hate you, but me it hateth, because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. Why did people hate Jesus Christ? Because he testified that the people were wicked and doing the wrong things. And so it is today. If you, uh, you know, if you want to be hated by people, you condemn them. You condemn their works. You tell them that they're evil. All the things that Jesus was, was going around saying as we keep looking at these at these lessons, right? You call them evil and adulterers, evil and adulterers, you know, the wicked going to hate you, right? 
and uh, these sort of things. Okay, he says, uh, go up into this feast. I go not up yet. And uh, uh, I go not up yet unto this feast, for my time is not yet fully come. When he had said these words unto them, he abode still in Galilee while they began their journey to Jerusalem. Okay, 10 through 17. But when his brethren were gone up, then when he also opened to the feast, not openly, but as it were in secret. Then the Jews sought him at the feast and said, Where is this Jesus of Galilee? And there was much murmuring among the people concerning him, for some said he's a good man. And others said, No, but he's deceiving the people. He's a deceiver. Howbeit no man spoke openly of him for the fear of the Jews. What they're saying is that no uh, convert of Christ, those who converted and saw Jesus as the Messiah, none of them were willing to speak openly for fear of the Jews. The Jewish leaders, in the Gospel of John, when he keeps mentioning the Jews, he's often referring to the Jewish leaders. So they're not scared of the Jews. They are Jews, right? But they're scared here of the leadership of the Jewish uh, nation. Now, about the midst of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and he taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, how does this man know letters have he never learned? He didn't study here in the, in the University of Jerusalem. You know, He didn't study in our best schools and study with the best rabbis. Where did he get all this learning? Jesus answered them and said, my doctrine is not, not mine, but his that sent me. I'm not making this stuff up myself. This is what the Father told me. He that speaketh of, uh, uh, if any man will do his will, he should know of the doctrine, whether it be of God or whether I speak of myself. So again, this focus, this emphasis on doing the word, doing the commandments, living the commandments of God. That by keeping God's commandments, you can know whether the doctrine is is true or false. You fastest way you want to test out the principle of tithing, you pay tithing. You want to uh, test out the principle of Sabbath day observance, you obey the Sabbath. You want to uh, gain a testimony of prayer, you pray. You want to develop a uh, testimony of scripture reading, you read the scriptures. It's very simple. Those, are the, those who do engage in such activities will gain testimonies of these things. Okay, so now we'll go on to 28 through 31. Then cried Jesus in the temple as he taught, saying, Ye both know me, and ye know whence I am, and I am not come of myself, but he that sent me is true, whom ye know not. Because if, if ye knew me, ye would know the Father. But I know him, for I am from him, and he has sent me. Then they sought to take him, but no man laid hands on him, because his hour was not yet come. Again, one of the great themes of the Gospel of John is his hour, right? This hour that ultimately he's going to be lifted up and draw all nations unto him upon the cross. His hour has not yet come, as John will continue to say, up until that time in which he is lifted up. And many of the people believed on him and said, When Christ or the Messiah cometh, will he do more miracles than these which this man had done, right? So, you know, we know this is the Messiah because how could anyone do any more miracles than what he's doing? Left and right, he's doing miracles. 37 through 43. In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. So he often was prefiguring the 
institution of the sacrament, which he's going to institute at the great and famous Last Supper. Uh, but here again, he's alluding to that, that you drink of me, you drink my blood through participation in the sacrament or the communion or the Eucharist. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this he spake of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus is the second comforter. If Jesus is on the earth, there's no need of the first comforter, the Holy Ghost. Once Jesus died and was uh, and rose from the dead and departed up into the cloud, into the heavens, then there was need for the Holy Ghost again to be the uh, comforter. Many of the people, therefore, when they heard this saying, said of a truth, this is the prophet. Others said, this is the Christ or Messiah. But some said, shall Christ come out of Galilee? So now they have a debate about whether Jesus, whether Jesus could be the Messiah, because we keep hearing that he's from Galilee. And the scripture says the Messiah should be born in Bethlehem. Now, of course, we know <laughs> from the Gospels, uh, and Matthew and Luke, that he was born in Bethlehem and not in Galilee. 42, and not the scripture said that Christ cometh of the seed of David. Yes, he was a literal descendant of David. And out of the town of Bethlehem where David was. So there was a division among the people because of him. And some of them would have taken him, but no man laid hands on him. Uh, 45 through 46. Then came the officers to the chief priests and Pharisees, and they said to them, Why have you not brought him yet to be arrested? The officers answered, never did man speak like this. We can't arrest him. He's too powerful. <coughs> Excuse me. He's too powerful of a, of a preacher, and all the people are believing on him. We can't just arrest him now. Okay, chapter 8, and we'll look at the 1 through 11. Jesus went unto the Mount Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple. And all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought it. Okay, here we go. Here we go, guys. So um, um, basically, uh, let's. how should we handle this? Uh, we're in chapter 8 of, of John, uh, but we have a kind of an issue here, right? <laughs> uh, some of you know already, and other you, you this is going to be breaking news. But uh, as we are doing God's truth, we teach God's truth, so I'm not going to teach something that's that's uh, not true, even if it happens to be written here, right? So it's been the uh, scholarly consensus for more than 100 years now that the woman caught in adultery is, is not historical. This was not Jesus Christ. It never happened. What happened is that um, around the 4th century, so more than 300 plus years after the Gospels were written and the Catholic Church has been formed, they have an issue. Some of the bishops in different areas of the world are not inviting repentant uh, uh, sinners, repentant women who had sinned, to come back into fellowship with the church. It's especially true in regards to adultery. So in order to help uh, uh, encourage them, 
to receive repentant sinners back into uh, full fellowship of the church, they had to come up with a story as to Jesus forgiving a, a, a repentant, uh, sinful woman. And so that's how we get this woman taken in adultery uh, story. Did not happen. Uh, it's not historical. And that's why when you read it, you realize there's a lot of major theological uh, issues uh, with it. Uh, so it, uh, this happens in the fourth century when they, the, the story starts to appear in the manuscripts. It does not appear in the earliest biblical manuscripts because it did not happen. It comes in beginning in the fourth century, more than 300 years after the text of John was written. Then the church doesn't even know where to put it. It starts in Luke. Then they move it over to John. So again, we know that the Gospels are written separately from each other. And John did not even know Luke, and Luke did not know John. <laughs> Luke was written before John. He couldn't have known John. And there's no evidence in the book of John that he knows Luke. So this comes when it's been canonized now together in, in, the, in a New Testament form. And they don't know where to put this story. They start with Luke. They move it over here to John. Now, if you didn't know that, how would you know that? Just simply by reading the, the story itself in here in the Gospels, right? And one of the great things I try to do is to teach you how to read the Bible. So what have we learned all the way? Now, we've been doing this now for four months this year, uh, the New Testament. So we spent one third of the year already in the New Testament. What do we know about Jesus? How does Jesus behave when there's Pharisees and Sadducees and other false religious leaders uh, when they arrive on the scene? Does he allow them to come up and start the conversation? Or does Jesus begin the conversation, right? Jesus always begins the conversation and they don't say anything, right? He, he shows his divine omniscience, his divine all-knowing, and prove that he himself is God by knowing their thoughts, right? So if this had been historical, Jesus would not be with his head down writing on the ground, right? And allow them to come say, hey, Jesus, we found this woman caught in adultery. He's not going to allow them to do that. The moment they arrived, before they had a chance to say, Jesus, we found this woman caught in adultery, he would begin the conversation before they did that. He would show that he know, knew their hearts, that they didn't even have to speak, that he knew their hearts, right? Two, what is Je how does Jesus react with false religious leaders? What would he always do, as we've seen for four months now? He always begins by calling them bad names, using even foul language from time to time, right? Uses insulting words, calls them names. He's the master, master name caller, right? Well, where does he do that here? <laughs> he doesn't do that here in this story of the woman caught in adultery because it's not true. This is not the story of Jesus. If, if this had happened, Jesus would have begun the conversation. Jesus would have called them, you know, either uh, evil adulterers or fornicators or, or a foolish generation, fools, hypocrites, all, kind, all of the names that he keeps calling the people. <clears throat> he would have attacked them that. Then he always condemns them, right? He doesn't just simply say, "Whosoever does, uh, whoever's without a sin, let him cast the first stone." Sounds sounds good. That's why they created the story. They thought it sounded like a good story, right? Jesus didn't talk like that, did he? He would have condemned them. 
he would have pointed out that they were that they were already caught in sin, that they were apostatizing from God's truth. <clears throat> then we have the major issue with the woman, right? The woman had just been taken in adultery. She's just been caught. Right now, obviously, she she would be scared and worried that they're going to stone her with stones. Has she had even a, a chance to even begin to even process her her sinful condition and the sin that she just uh, was caught in, in in doing? First step of repentance is recognition. <laughs> you have to have time to to recognize <clears throat> that you have sinned. And falling short of the glory of God, as Paul would say, right? You have to recognize that what you did is, is, is wrong. Two, you need to have some part of confession here. She doesn't confess. She doesn't acknowledge that what she's done is wrong. She's just terrified she might be killed here, right? Two, uh, Three, God does not just forgive an adulterer just like that, just out of the blue. Oh, I'm going to forgive you. You haven't even asked me for forgiveness, but I'm not going to condemn you. Go in peace and don't, you know, don't sin more. No, that's not how it works, right? Jesus, Jesus was aware of the church handbook, <laughs> brothers and sisters. He knows the church handbook, right? He knows that there would be some sort of church discipline here, uh, most likely, uh, uh, you know, that, that she would need time to go through the repentant uh, process. So major theological issues here with the woman caught in adultery, right? Now, the line sounds good, right? He that doesn't have sin, let him cast the first stone. And maybe there's a lesson to learn from that. Not inspired scripture, not a historical event in the life of Jesus. But just because something's not historical doesn't mean that maybe there's something you can learn here. But we see there are theological issues involved here. This is not how repentance is done. This is not how Jesus forgives the people. So there's some serious issues here with the woman caught in adultery. So even if you didn't know the background history of the text, which I've looked, which we looked at a few minutes ago, if you were reading it, you would see that this is not Jesus, right? Nothing here is Jesus, right? He's not like that. He doesn't then go back down, start writing on the ground again until they leave, right? He always gets the last word, makes them go away angry after he's speaking to them and condemning them for their, for their sins, right? The total contrary Jesus here. So that's the woman caught in adultery here, uh, um, not historical. It comes in the fourth century, begins to show up in Luke, then moves to John as the church is dealing with issues with bishops that were refusing to accept repentant woman back into the church. That's why they create the story. Whenever you know that, you know now, see, that's how I try to teach you. So as you know the scriptures and you know what the scriptures say, then you're able to recognize false scripture. Same thing with dealing with the apothecal uh, uh, books and the pseudepigraphal works of scripture. As even the Doctrine and Covenants, uh, the section 91 says, he that hath the spirit can gain benefit from reading, right? If you know the scriptures and you approach them with the spirit, you'll know what is true and what is false in these books that are not canonized scriptures. So when you read the infancy script, uh, gospels of Jesus, you know, you know what things are not true and what things are false because you've studied the canonical Jesus and you know his character, his attributes, 
you know what he would and would not do in, in, in circumstances. So while they're trying to exalt Jesus in some of these infancy gospels, for example, trying to exalt him and say, oh, he did all these wonderful things, right? They're not in harmony with the Jesus of the canonical uh, gospels. Okay, so I think that takes care of the woman caught in adultery. <clears throat> and then we'll look at um, 12. Okay, then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light. Now, this would have gone on uh, after verse 2. So you, you see how how that reads better, right? Chapter 8, verse 1, Jesus went unto the Mount of Olives, and early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. Then verse 12, then spake Jesus. Now they added the word again, but then spake, as he taught them again, he spake unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. 12 follows verses Verse 2, as, as you can clearly see there. So the rest of that is not uh, historical in the life of Jesus Christ. And it's not theological. It has some serious theological errors and issues. Okay. So now we move on to, chapter, to verse 21. Then said Jesus again unto them, I go my way and ye shall seek me and shall die in your sins. Whether I go, ye cannot come, right? 24, I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. The only way you can begin to receive forgiveness of your sins is to believe in Jesus Christ, to believe he's the Savior, that he's your Savior and Redeemer, and that he he'll, stands ready to forgive you of your sins. If you don't believe that Jesus is your Savior and your Redeemer from sin, and, and you know, how are you going to receive forgiveness of your sins? And then we move next to uh, 28 through 34. Then said Jesus unto them, when you have lifted up the son of man, that's the whole, we looked at this earlier. That's the whole theme of the gospel of John. When he's going to be lifted up, that will be his hour. Then shall you know that I am he and that I do nothing to myself, but as my father had taught me, I speak these things, right? And, and we've looked at this several times. The scriptures continue to come back to. If you're going to be a religious leader in the church, then you need to speak the words of Heavenly Father. You don't speak your own opinions, your own, uh, you know, what you think is your own wisdom, you know, and your own advice. You speak what has been revealed by Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ. We've looked at this several times throughout all the gospel, throughout all the scriptures over the last several years. Okay, so then he says, 29, And he that sent me is with me. The Father had not left me alone, for I do always those things that please him. Those who have sinned know that by sinning, there comes a separation from God, right? You lose the Holy Spirit for a while until you repent of your sins, and then the Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost can come back uh, to you, right? So the father never leaves Jesus because he always does those things that please him. You want God to always be with you? Then I'll do your best to always do those things which pleases God. And as he spake these words, many believed on him. 
Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. So apostate false uh, Christians, evangelicals in particular, pay attention once again. We must read it again. We've looked at this. So it's not like this is the first time, right? We've, how many times have we been looking at this every week, right? Then said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. It doesn't say, you know, if you acknowledge Jesus as your Lord and Savior, then go out and do whatever you want the rest of your life. That then, then, then you'll, uh, then are you his disciples? No. If you are his disciples, you will keep his commandments. Jesus will also say, if you love me, keep my commandments. How do you show Jesus that you love him? By keeping his commandments, not by acknowledging that he's the Lord and Savior of your life one time and then go live your life however you want. Nowhere does it teach that in the scriptures. Nowhere. Nowhere does it say that. Some of you have been misled and deceived by false apostate uh, 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 leaders and teachers and ministers to believe such false doctrine. It's not in the Bible. Nowhere is it in the Bible. You stay with us this year, and you will continue to see that. When we get to uh, certain passages, and Paul will help you understand what Paul is talking about. Totally, totally. What Paul is teaching is totally opposite than what you've been misled and deceived by evil man and evil woman into believing. Totally contrary to that. The whole thing is based on your the way you keep the commandments of God. Even you get to the end of the New Testament, the end of the Bible in the book of Revelation, the great judgment in which the books are opened and you're judged according to the things that you did in those books. Not because you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior one time in some crusade and then you went back to living a evil and a, you know adulterous life. That's not how you're saved. Nowhere does it teach that in the Bible. Okay, so now he says um, in verse 32, And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and we were never in bondage to any man. How then do you say that, that ye shall be made free? And so Jesus teaches them here in 34. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. Sin is a bondage. You commit sin, you 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 become a uh, you, you get into bondage of sin. A lot of uh, sins are uh, are, are, are addictive behaviors, right? You you stop going to church. It's it's easy. It's hard to go back to church, right? You now have an addictive behavior and not attending church. You stop praying. You develop an addicted an addiction to not praying. Therefore, it's hard to begin. You stop reading the scriptures every day, it's hard to begin because you have an addiction of not reading the scriptures. Sin is addiction and brings you into bondage. <clears throat> okay, 38 through 40. Some, I speak that which I have seen with my father, and ye do that which ye have seen with your father. Now he's starting to lead up to, my father is God and your father is the devil. Now again, remember, the real Jesus, right? Totally contrary to the woman caught in adultery story, right? Where is this? Where is this language where Jesus is saying, your father is the devil, right? Where is it? It's not there because the woman caught in adultery is not historical material 
It is not Jesus Christ in those verses. Okay, so he starts to build this uh, up his uh, case here. Uh, at, uh, uh, I know that you are Abraham's seed, but you see, uh, let's see. I speak that which I have seen in my father, and you do that which you have seen with your father, the devil. They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said unto them, if you were Abraham's children, you would do the works of Abraham. Again, not just accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, but actually show that by keeping what the commandments, what Jesus told you to do. If you would do the works of Abraham, if Abraham were your father. But now you seek to kill me, which would be against the commandments, right? A man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. You do the deeds of your father. Then said they to him, we be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. So they tried to fight back hard here. They tried to fight back here. So there was a, uh, basically there's a, a rumor that goes on that Jesus was the son of, of uh, Pantera, a Roman soldier uh, who got Mary pregnant. And so they're, Here's what they're, that's why they're saying here that we're not the born from fornication is you, Jesus. We know your father is a Roman soldier with your, with your mother. We have one father, even God. <laughs> so that's what he's, that's what they're accusing him here. Jesus said unto them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I proceed forth and came from God. Neither came I myself, but he sent me. God sent me to the earth. He's my father. And if you love my father, you would love me for I am the son of my father. Why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my word. Here we go. Ye are of your father, the devil. And the lust of your father, ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own. For he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. And 46, which of, um, and, uh, which of you convinceth me of sin? And if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. You therefore hear them not because you are not of God, right? If you love God, you, you will hear his words, recognize him. The sheep know my voice, as he says. And so you'll know, right? Okay, so now we go to 50. And I seek not mine own glory. There is one that seeketh and judgeth. 51. Verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. You keep the, the sayings. It's, it's clear over and over again. I don't know how you false apostate Christians live like that. To somehow think you can live however you want to your life. You can sin as much as you want. Do whatever sinful action you want. And as long as you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you're going to be automatically forgiven of those sins and you're going to receive a place in heaven. Nowhere does it say that. The Bible continues to teach completely contrary to what you've been misled and what you've been deceived into believing by false, abominable, uh, 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 false leaders. Let's uh, maybe need to say it again. Verily, verily, I say to you, if a man keep my saying, if he keeps my commandments, he shall never see death. He shall receive eternal life in my heaven. 
uh, 56 through 59. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. By vision, he saw the future. By vision, Abraham saw me, Lord Jesus Christ, uh, being born as a babe in Bethlehem, growing up, perfor uh, performing miracles, healing the sick, raising the dead, causing the blind to see and the lame to walk. And he saw my day, and he was glad to see it. Then said the Jews unto him, you're not yet 50 years old. And you and you say you've seen Abraham? He, he lived 2,000 years ago. Jesus saith unto them, verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am, I am Jehovah. This is the ego eimi in the Greek. Uh, this is where he says that he's Yahweh. Uh, he that causes to be or brings into existence. He's the one that spoke to Moses from the fiery, the burning bush on the, on Mount Sinai. He is, I am. Then they took up stones to cast at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple going through the midst of them. And so passed by, we saw previously he has some sort of, uh, whether it's a cloaking device or, or however he's able to do it, he can turn himself invisible and pass through. And many times they've tried to kill him in different circumstances. He turns invisible, passes through them when he wants to. Okay, chapter 9. Let's look at 1 through 7. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin? This man or his parents that he was born blind. Jesus answered, Neither had this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. So that's a powerful uh, verse of scripture here, right? So uh, what we see here is that, uh, uh, that they believed in their culture that if someone's born blind, that means they sinned, right? Maybe the parents sinned or, or the, the person who is blind sinned. And Jesus is saying that's not always the case. Uh, he, had, he did teach um, with the, uh, the man at the uh, pool of Siloam. Uh, that in his case, his condition came upon him because of his sin, and he told him, and he told him not to sin any further, lest something even worse come upon him due to his sin. So the sicknesses, illnesses, often caused by sin. In this case, though, this was this guy's uh, ministry. His calling from God was to be born blind, so that at the appointed time, Jesus would heal him, and he could then testify of Jesus Christ to the people. Verse 4, I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh and no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground and made clay of the spittle. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. And he said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came seen. Okay, so that's then, um, you know, so now that all the neighbors are like, well, what happened? That's the guy we knew that was blind. And and so, that you know, how did this happen? And he testifies that Jesus is the one that healed him. And we get to verse 18. But the Jews did not believe concerning him, that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents. So they finally called the parents. Is this your son? Was he born blind? And they asked him, saying, Is this your son, who you say was born blind? How then doth he now see? 
His parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son and that he was born blind. But by what means he now seeth, we don't know. Or who hath opened his eyes, we don't know. He is of age. Ask him. He shall speak for himself. Now they say that his parents talked that way because they were scared they were going to be excommunicated. For the leaders of the Jews declared that anyone would be excommunicated from the church who confessed that Jesus was the Christ. Therefore his parents said, He is of age, ask him. And verse 24, Then again called they the man that was blind and said unto him, Give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. And he, the one that formerly blind, said, Whether he be a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I know, that whereas I, I, before I was blind, now I see. Then they said to him again, what did he What did he to thee? How, how did he open your eyes? And he says, I told you already, and you didn't listen to me. You know, if I tell you again, will you listen this time and become his disciples? Then they reviled him and said, Thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciple. We know that God spake unto Moses as for this fellow. We don't know where he came from. Verse 30, the man answered and said unto them, why, herein is a marvelous thing that you know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened my eyes. Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. So here he's instructing these uh, false religious leaders as to their doctrine and the doctrine of the scripture, that God does not listen to sinners. So if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. So Clearly, Jesus must be doing the will of God, or God wouldn't uh, hear him. So if Jesus is out performing miracles, God's hearing him, listening to him, and, and granting his will to perform these miracles. Therefore, as it, as it says here, that we know that, that he must not be a sinner, right? He's a, a righteous guy. He says here in verse 32, Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one born that was blind, right? But yet there were situations like that. So here the JST helps us out and gives us that except he be of God. So only those that were of God were able to open the eyes of the blind. Those who were not of God were not able to cause people to see who had been born blind. If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. Exactly correct. They, they answered and said unto him, that was altogether born in sins. Because, again, their belief that he must have been born in sin if he was born blind. And you dare teach us? And they cast them out. He gets excommunicated. Jesus heard that they had excommunicated him. And when he had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. And Jesus said, For judgment I have come into this world, that they which see not might see, and they which see might be made blind. And some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words, said unto him, Are we blind also? Jesus said unto them, If ye were blind, you would have had no sin. But now ye say, We see. Therefore your sin remaineth, right? If you were born blind, God understood, right? If, if you were born in a situation in which uh, you were blind to the gospel, uh, maybe uh, your parents don't even uh, 
worship Jesus Christ. They worship some other false god. They brought you up in the false non-Christian religion. He's going to be more tolerant of you, right? But if you were brought up in a Christian religion, but you continue to fight against God, continue to fight against Jesus, continue to fight against his church, continue to refuse to become a baptized member of his church and kingdom upon the earth, then the sin remaineth in you. Okay, chapter 10, Jesus is the good shepherd. Uh, verse 1, Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber, right? You have, there's only a, is only one door. Jesus said, this is the way, the truth, and the life. He didn't say, this is one of the truths. This is one of the ways. This is one. There is one church, right? One Lord, one faith, one baptism, as Paul taught. Not many churches, many forms of baptism. There's only one. You can only enter into God's kingdom through one door, and that being his church and kingdom, the only church in which he's declared to be his true church upon the earth is his church, the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. You can try to get into heaven through another way, but it's not going to work, is it? It makes you a thief and a robber, and ultimately, when you, can, when you uh, appear before the gates of heaven, you will be shut out. You will hear those dreadful words of Jesus from Matthew 7. Depart from me. I never knew you. You workers of iniquity. Okay, now we move on to 5 through 11. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. So the true sheep, true Christians, know the voice of God. And when they hear the voice of God, they come unto him. And they become baptized members of his church and kingdom of God. They don't fight against it. They don't reject it. They don't just accept a partial Christianity, a partial teaching of Jesus, a partial, a partial ethical uh, teaching of Jesus Christ. They don't do that, right? They accept the fullness of Jesus Christ's truth. And when they hear false religious leaders, they flee from them. They know they're, they're evil and that they're not teaching the word of God. This parable spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were, which he spake unto them. Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. No, not to be taken literal, right? He's not a door, right? <laughs> uh, you know, those of you that the false uh, apostate uh, credo Christians who worship the creeds of the false apostate Christianity rather than the true Jesus of the Bible, the biblical Jesus, you would like to worship these creeds. You take, you would reject the entire Bible and you look at like one scripture verse that says Jesus, you know, that God is a spirit. Uh oh, now we're going to reject all the rest of the Bible, to just reject it outright. And accept that God is a spirit because of one verse of scripture. Well, here you have God's, here you have Jesus saying that he's the door. Are you going to begin now to worship doors everywhere you find a door? A door of the sheep and start bowing down to it and worshiping as Jesus Christ because the scripture said, I'm a door. That's just as valid as God is a spirit, right? You can't take a verse of scripture out of context 
and try to build your religion into it and it reject the Bible. You have to look at these kinds of verses and the context of all the other biblical verses and of what Jesus is trying to teach here. This is clearly he's using symbolic language to teach that he's the good shepherd. He's not the shepherd. You don't worship shepherds. <laughs> you don't worship doors because he said he's a door. You don't worship God as a spirit because one verse of scripture says God's a spirit. We've seen before and we've seen many times before all the way beginning in Genesis 1. Man is made in the image of God. Do you have a flesh, a body of flesh and bone? Or do you have a, or are you some floating uh, spiritual essence that's everywhere and at the same time doesn't exist because it's nowhere present a uh, form of atheism? What are you? Ask yourself, do you have body of flesh and bones? Then you are made, then what kind of body does God have? Flesh and bones if you were made in his image? Or you have to reject the Bible and say, oh, Bible doesn't say what it, you know, doesn't mean what it says. Oh, and once you put yourself into that trap, you can justify rejection of any biblical verse and say, well, it doesn't really mean that. Oh, it doesn't really mean that. And then you do that with the entire Bible. You become condemned and you get cast out of the heaven. Okay, so then he's, uh, um, that's verse uh, nine there. Uh, and then he says, uh, verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Don't worship shepherds because <laughs> he's the good uh, shepherd, right? Okay, let's now look at uh, 14 through 29. I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. The true sheep of God know his voice and they come unto him. As the Father knoweth me, even so I know the Father. And I lay down my life for my sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold. This fold being Jewish people in first century Canaan, Palestine, whatever word you want to use to describe ancient Israel, whatever you want to use there. That's this fold that he's referring to. And I have other sheep. Not of this fold. Now he tells you uh, previously that he came unto the household of Israel. Right? He rejected the Gentile woman at first until his sympathy took over and he healed her daughter because she was not of the house of Israel. So Jesus is going around talking about how he sent to the house of Israel. Therefore, this is not the Gentiles. <laughs> For centuries, they didn't know how to interpret this this uh, verse of scripture in the history of uh, of uh, non biblical um, uh, credo Christianity. They didn't know how to accept how to interpret this voice. So, uh, so this verse. So, some have pr proposed that well, maybe he's referring to the Gentiles. Are the Gentiles part of the house of Israel? Absolutely not. Right. Therefore, he's not talking about the Gentiles here. He is talking about the house of Israel, descended from the 12 tribes of Jacob, or his name was also Israel, right? Now, where is this ministry that he had that he should also bring these other sheep unto, uh, you know, unto him, the, the household of, of Israel? Well, we don't have all the complete records. Clearly, there's a lot of scriptures we just don't have. 
But as part of the restoration of the gospel in the latter days, we've been given this great book of scripture, the Book of Mormon, another testament of Jesus Christ, in that we hear of his ministry to these people living in ancient Americas after his death and resurrection. So literally fulfilled his own prophecy here, and other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. And he established his church among them, and he called 12 disciples to lead his church. He fulfilled his own prophecy here in John 10, 16, through the book of 3 Nephi in the Book of Mormon, another testament of Jesus Christ. Okay, that's 16. Now we move to... There, uh, 17, therefore doth my father love me because I laid down my life, that I might take it again. We see this over and over again. We get this false doctrine being preached by the pro, the so-called prosperity gospel, those uh, religious leaders out making millions of dollars by just, oh, God is love. Oh, God just loves everybody. That's where it all started from, right? Then the wicked people uh, like to then take it and apply it to their own circumstance. And so they say, oh, I can do whatever I want in my life. Uh, you know, I can commit whatever uh, whoredoms and abominations in God's eyes uh, uh, because God, after all, he just loves me. He understands. He's just he's just going to just forgive me and without asking for forgiveness. He just just love, love, love. But we've seen. Re watch these videos all the way from last year, right? All the way through the entire Old Testament, all the way through the New Testament. God's love is conditional. He doesn't love everybody, right? It's conditional. Hundreds and hundreds of verses of scripture teach it's not. It teaches that it's conditional. It's not unconditional. Those who teach that have, uh, uh, you know, are misleading you. Now, in some cases, they may have a good heart and they may think that, that they're teaching gospel truth, right? Some people, you know, have received uh, knowledge, what they think is knowledge of God, and they've learned bad doctrine from bad you know from teachers who had who learned bad doctrine from somebody else and it passes down this is you know assumptive knowledge where they assume that some things are true even if they're not and therefore out of the goodness of their heart they teach something even if it's not true based on their assumptive knowledge rather than revealed divine knowledge that they received directly from god right so therefore yes you can find uh verses you can find even general conference addresses in which they've taught such doctrine, not not true, right? But yet you can find a great uh, uh, one back in the early uh, uh, 1990s, the current prophet, President Russell M. Nelson, in which he tried to, to teach this doctrine about, about this conditional love uh, of God. So I encourage you to, to seek out, I don't remember the name of the title of that, but I would recommend you you read that. He understands this this concept. Now he tried to fluff it up a little bit and make it not 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 so direct but he appears to have knowledge of this doctrine despite what some of the others have said over the years out of the goodness of their hearts i don't think they're trying to teach false doctrine here by saying oh god just loves everybody unconditionally it's not true nowhere is that found in the scripture that god loves people unconditionally uh, it's always conditioned even here jesus here in this verse of scripture is saying what that God loves him 
And uh, he says, so where is the, uh, I hope I didn't just lose my, uh, uh, here we go, verse 17. Therefore doth my father love me. The reason my father loves me is because I lay down my life that I might take it again. That's why my father loves me. Conditional. That's conditional love again, people. God loves him because he lays down his life. Doesn't love him unconditionally, right? Loves him because he keeps his commands. If you love me, keep my commandments, and then my father will love you, right? That's what Jesus said, right? And then we'll take up our bold with that person and appear to them and, and so forth, right? It's always conditional based upon keeping the commandments. Then you show that you love God. Then God loves you. Jesus, right? Jesus is right here as himself acknowledging that the reason the Father loves him is because he lays down his life for the world. Okay, so let's continue on with God's truth. Isn't it wonderful? Okay, in verse 19, there was a division, therefore, among the Jews for these sayings. And many of them said, he hath a devil and is mad. Why are you listening to this guy? <laughs> right back to fulfillment of 1 Nephi 16.2, the wicked taketh the truth to be hard, and it cutteth them to the very center, right? The wicked are always... Uh, uh, are always hurt emotionally when they hear the gospel truth. And so they want to say, oh, this man has the devil, when it's really them that have the devil, right? Others said, these are not the words of him that hath the devil. Can a devil open the eyes of the blind? And it was at Jerusalem, the feast of the dedication, and it was winter. And Jesus walked in the temple in Solomon's porch. Then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, how long uh, are you making us to doubt? Tell us once and for all, are you the Messiah? Jesus answered them, I told you, and you don't believe it. The works that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me, right? I heal the sick, raise the dead, cause the lame to walk, the deaf to hear, the blind to receive their sight. All this bears witness of me that I am the Messiah. In verse 26, but you believe not because you are not of my sheep, right? That's, again, the way that Jesus talked. That's his characteristic, right? Uh, you know, as I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all. And no man is able to pluck them out of my father's hand. Okay, so then we'll look here at 31 through. Um, oh, and then verse 30. Yeah, maybe we should look at that also, right? I and my father are one. I don't take that verse out of scripture and run away with it. Oh, there are four. God, Jesus, and the Holy Ghost are three and one, one and three. Yellow is black, black is purple, and they're all blue. Uh, you know, just because you found one scripture there, you don't reject all the rest of the Bible. Now, one of the things I found interesting is I've been watching with just complete amazement the last few years. After nearly 200 years after the days of Joseph Smith, what were they so mad about, Joseph Smith? Because they taught that the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost were, th were three separate persons. And now all of a sudden, the very top, theologians of, and, and, and biblical scholars and theologians of, of credo Christianity now are coming out say, focusing and emphasizing 
that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost are three persons. <laughs> exactly what they what they said Joseph got wrong. Here's 200 years later, they realize that this doctrine that the Father and him are one just doesn't make any sense whatsoever. That that's got to be you know taken out of context. The belief says false the nonsense. So they're not actually now going around teaching that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost are three separate persons. It's really amazing. Okay, we continue on. Uh, 31 through 42. Uh, um, then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you from my Father. For which of these works are you stoning me? Are you stoning me because I healed the sick? Are you stoning me because I raised the dead? Are you stoning me because I, I uh, you know, rose, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, the blind to see and the deaf to hear and, and so forth? Which of these works are you stoning me for? And the Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we're not stoning you, but for blasphemy, because you, being a man, are making yourself to be God. Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? I said ye are gods. <laughs> so he goes here, and how does Jesus define a god? And it's in the Old Testament, right? It's quoting the Old Testament here. In your own law. In your own, on your very own Old Testament, it says that those who have the gospel preached to them are gods. So the definition here that Jesus uses here in this definition is that those who hear the gospel of Jesus Christ are gods. So they say, "Oh well, uh, you know, mankind, you know, it's blasphemy to say that uh, mankind are gods." Well, have you had the gospel preached to you or not? If you've had the gospel preached to you, according to Jesus, you're a God. Jesus said that you, having heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and 